Hello, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 401, I am welcoming to the show, Andy Colbert. The expansive strength looked like being like, oh, we have choices here. We don't have to keep banging our head against the wall and create these relational dynamics in our family where we're just living from anger and being tense and nothing's ever good enough all the time. Like, what would it look like to do this differently? Andy is a licensed professional counselor, mom to an 11-year-old daughter and six-year-old son, and she's the author of the critically acclaimed book, Try Softer. She also has a new book coming out called Strong Like Water. Today, we are focusing in on what does real strength look like? As moms, so often we are walking through our own hard things and past challenges, wounding, trauma, or just life and we sometimes feel like we need to white knuckle our way through it, particularly being quote unquote strong for our kids. Well, Andy is going to offer us a compassionate way to walk through life. And I really enjoyed my conversation with her. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Andy, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. It is about time. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I mean, We could hang out, just the two of us, because we are similarly wired and we really, I'm just meeting someone who's similarly wired is such a joy. So I'm really excited to chat with you. And I think I've covered the topic of trauma and brokenness in a way that's a guest sharing their own experience, how they have walked through something hard and God has used it. But to talk to you as a counselor about some practical ways that moms can live the day-to-day where people are needing them all the time and they feel like, and this is, I'm using my quote fingers, they need to be strong for everyone. Mm -hmm. But we can take a second and talk about what that trauma, what that pain has actually done to the neurological system and give them some grace today and give them some tools to practically kind of walk through this and mm-hmm. what's real strength is, what it really looks like. So your new book, Strong Like Water, let's talk through these these concepts, okay? So mm-hmm. tell us, like, what does trauma and hard things do to our neurological system so a mom can say, oh, oh, that's why this is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you for having me. And I agree. I think we are similarly wired. So it's so fun to be here. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say a couple of things to start. The first is just to really, let's just start from the top and say mothering and just <laughs> and parenting, caregiving in general is very hard work. It's very hard work. And I, I want to start there to honor that reality because I think that for me, anytime we are going to talk about sort of the nuances of this work, I want to start there because it's not as though we're like, hey, just, I can't believe you're not able to do this thing. That's so easy. Yeah, um, It's easy for everyone else. And it's only hard for me is a message that will get us stuck. Yes. Yes. And it's, and it's ultimately like, I think that 
there's a way in which it's a good hard. Like it's a, Mm. it doesn't mean that we want it to be hard. We can just honor the reality that humans are complex. Tiny people are complex. They're (laughs) developing. They have incomplete undeveloped nervous systems. They have a prefrontal cortex, which we'll talk about that is not fully developed, which literally means they cannot regulate themselves on them on their own. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So I just want to start there because that is a really important place. I hope even when you hear that for folks listening, that they might even just feel a little bit of an exhale. Because I think sometimes when we talk about stuff like parenting, I I myself am a mom. And I think there can be this feeling of like bracing of like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, what are they going to tell me? And, and, and how, how am I going to they- feel bad? Where am yes. I going to feel bad and guilty and shame? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think we can just really honor that, you know, certainly we can learn and we want to learn. And I think God really um, designed us so that we can learn, like that's part of being human. And that's a really beautiful thing. But our goal is also to really, to sort of disconnect that from shame as much as possible um, to say, this is not about shame because ultimately shame can't really get us ever where we want to go. Um, so I'll just start there. And then what I'll just say, so, so my book strong, like water, um, I'm, I'm really excited about this book and almost ironically, and, and a little bit of the backstory with that is I have a really paradoxical sort of like almost ambivalent relationship with the idea of strength. Hmm. Part of my own history, I'm a, I'm a survivor of complex trauma in my own childhood. And part of the way that I survived was by, you know, when people think of that classic idea of being the strong one, um, you don't have a lot of needs. You just get things done. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you white knuckle it, you achieve. I fit the bill for that often. Um, And that's very much how I survived um, a really significantly dysfunctional and at times traumatic um, family. And so I share that because I think from my whole adulthood, I've had this sort of dance in me where it's like, I have a part of myself. I have parts of myself that can be very fierce who can just sort of be like, I will push through no matter what. And I have come to recognize in my own journey of healing that on one hand, I actually have really, I needed that strength to survive. And I have had to learn how to um, work with that, that pain that, um, some of that strength is rooted in mm. so that the strength doesn't always have to be connected mm. to like, this is, this is life or death. Like that. This is, you know, when my kids are having a hard day, that this is not life or death. Mm. <laughs> and what does it look like to come from a different view of strength? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, for those who can identify with that. Yeah. I've had a hard childhood and that became my identity. Like I can imagine for you. So then to, to remove that element of yourself or to actually admit you have needs or to actually not hold it all together or be maybe even reliable in some aspects because you just need rest or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 
how does that impact your identity piece? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. it seems yeah. like then everyone just thinks that's who you are. This yeah. is who Andi is. She is strong. Mm-hmm. She's going through cancer, but look how strong she is. It's like, oh gosh, yes. There are so many different versions of this, right? Mm-hmm. There are folks, I mean, I talk a lot in the trauma space, but cr- whether that's chronic illness, whether yeah. that's different areas where you have had to take on sort of an armor, right? Yeah. Because you had to, like, yeah. you didn't really have a choice. Like, if you were going to survive, this was the way. This is the option. This is right. it. Yeah. Which like you said, served you well. There are so yes. many aspects of our childhood coping mechanisms that, that served we can us. honor. And we yeah. can say, thank you. You know, what is it? The family systems kind of language, like yeah. protector and the. Yes. Internal family systems of, of, you know, that, that is a protector. That's a, you know, and, and different lenses of, of different theories would just say that's either, that's a coping strategy. That's a, you might call it a part, you might call it, there are, um, you know, in my first book, um, try softer. I, a lot of times I, I referred to this idea as like white knuckling. Mm-hmm. And, and this is when our, our nervous system yeah. goes into a state where we detect threat. And the way that we then cope is we go into various forms of, um, it's like our sympathetic nervous system. So it's related to things like fight or flight, sometimes fawning. And if that doesn't work, we'll go down into what's known as like a dissociation. So that's, that can be feeling numb. That can be feeling depressed or disconnected from yourself. Okay. Do you know what's so crazy? Have you ever had that thing where like you learn something and then it literally pops up everywhere? And I, I have heard about fight or flight. I have a child who has sensory things. We've done episodes on window of tolerance. I have heard about these options, fight or flight Mm -hmm. and freeze. Fawn was a new one. I'd never heard about until Friday. And now I'm like, you're the third person. And I don't know if this is just a new conversation or literally my brain just never heard it until. Can you just like real quick talk about fawn? Because that was new to me and it might be new to the person listening as a response to anxiety, a threat Mm -hmm. is you fight back, you flee, you disassociate or freeze. Yes. So fawning is a term that was coined um, by a therapist named Pete Walker. And and it's a pretty new term. I mean, I talk about it in Trisofter, but there's honestly very little literature about it um, because this is something that primarily trauma survivors have advocated. Um, Pete Walker himself is a survivor of complex trauma. Mm. And, and so this is getting more attention, um, but it's, it's pretty new. So okay. it's okay <laughs> that like, you haven't heard about it. Um, this is it's, like, it's, it's amazing. So tell me, yeah, yeah. talk about it. Yeah. So essentially it is a fairly advanced trauma response. And what I mean by that is that the first time someone they, they detect there's a threat, basically, you know, our body subconsciously and instantaneously moves into different nervous states. It's not a choice. This is something our body does. However, with the fawn, a lot of times what happens is the, like, let's say you're a kiddo and you have a, a parent who's really scary. And you, if you say no to that parent, you come to find that there is a very, high cost. Like the punishment is severe. Like your body, um, sort of remembers like, Oh, this is, I can't fight. I can't flee. Cause I'm five. 
and I might dissociate, right? But our body is very wise and very adaptable. So fawning is a, is a response that we learn when the other trauma responses ultimately sort of don't get us what we need. And so fawning is essentially a form of like over-accommodating. Sometimes it can look like people-pleasing. Sometimes it can look like just being really hyper-vigilant um, as to the needs of whoever you are potentially noticing that there may be threat from. Now, usually how this begins, this is fawning. I, at some point I might write a whole book about fawning, but basically (laughs) what I've come to learn uh, working with uh, some folks who have done more advanced work in the nervous system and done research is that fawning spans our nervous system. Mm. So what that means is, is we might start out hypervigilantly people pleasing, sort of like, hi, hi, what do you need? And can I get this? Do you need a background? Do you need, can I get you a glass of water? Can I, whatever's going to, you think, calm the the threat? That's right. To neutralize it. That's right. But then in order for us to sort of allow the fawning to continue, a lot of times what happens is we actually drop down into the lower element of our window of tolerance into, into sort of a, what would be thought of as more like a submission place, like a, like you almost have to get numb. You become numb to the fact that you overgave. Right. I mean, even for folks like who've experienced like sexual violence, right? Like this may be uh, a lot of times, like when folks talk about, um, I said yes, because I didn't have a choice. Right. And that there, so, but it, it often, what I think has been missed and what we're just really identifying and honestly, probably like the last five to 10 years is the recognition that this spans our entire nervous system. It's a, an advanced strategy that a lot of times people outside of us may not even recognize that we're fawning Um, women in particular often, right? Um, For lots of different reasons may get really good at fawning and you may not even know like, like, because it's being praised. Oh gosh. It's rewarded. It's what, yes, it looks good. That's right. Yeah. It looks like, gosh, you're just, you're so generous. You're so self-giving and certainly we can be truly and authentically generous and self-giving, but this is why beginning to help people understand their nervous system matters because sometimes the difference is, is rooted in the way our body is experiencing it. Um, And so what I would say is that when we give or when we please others out of the need to appease a threat, we are fawning. And that is related to a nervous system trauma response or stress response versus it's just not authentic. And and that means that, you know, I sometimes say it's like, if you can't really say no, like you can't really say yes. And so it's just something that we really want to be curious about in all of this work. I mean, even in parent, you know, like this is its own thing, but I think as we gently come into this conversation of nervous system states and parenting, this is certainly part of the conversation too. Yeah. Huge part, huge, helpful for me.
Think about someone who has changed your life for the better. How incredible would it be if your company could find more of those life-changing people right when you needed them? Well, if you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on lots of different job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do all of it with Indeed. You can find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like their Indeed Instant Match, their assessments, and virtual interviews. If you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. That's what I love about Indeed is their instant match. So candidates you invite to apply through this instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search. With instant match, as soon as you sponsor that post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match the job description. You can invite them to apply right away. So Indeed does the hard work for you. You sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you the candidates that fit your job description immediately. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must have job requirements. Visit indeed.com slash DMA to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash DMA. Indeed.com slash DMA. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Like when I I never had issues with anger and then I started, you know, with young kids and lots of, I have four boys and then all the chaos, I found myself yelling, which I is never been a thing for me, mm-hmm. but I was going into fight. Like mm-hmm. that was my mm-hmm. neurological system overloaded, dysregulated and reacting. And so, but instead of having that work of knowing this is what's going on in my body, I already have my own sensory issues and I'm dysregulated and it makes sense and I need to get in touch with my body. What's going on? What am I feeling? I'm actually feeling fear. Oh, I'm not angry. I'm afraid. Doing that work was super helpful for me. I can only imagine like the more you dig into this, it removes the guilt and shame of some of our parenting reactions you know, because we picture mm-hmm. Mary Poppins and, she, and her, it, we picture, you know, what yeah. is it? Uh, Sound of Music. Like we want to be those kind of moms and then we show up and we aren't those moms and we're like, what's wrong? I yeah. thought I would be so kind and patient and loving. And so we throw guilt and shame on top of all of this yeah. already neurologically struggling <laughs> and we get stuck. Yes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, there's so many different elements and I think part of it is even just like the sensory piece is a huge thing. I think for lots of moms, lots of caregivers. And I think the other piece that we often, I mean, are not equipped for before you become a parent is recognizing how your own childhood, your own experiences of attachment um, may ultimately influence 
mm. how we are with our kiddos. Yeah. Um, there is a reality in which, you know, I think I often reference, you know, Jesus's commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And for me, there's like so many layers to this that I think for me, I, I geek out because neurobiologically, this is like a really cool statement because essentially part of what that means is, is that when Jesus is asking us to love our neighbor as our, ourselves, I, I have to believe that Jesus knows how we are made. And, and Jesus knew that um, in order for us to truly love, right? Like if we think our kids of our kids as our neighbors, that means we actually have to actively be aware of and in touch with our own sort of like our, our own emotional state and even have access to what it feels like to just have an experience in our body. And there's a sense in which if we sort of hate ourselves, like, let's just take that for example. If we hate ourselves for lots of different reasons, it's really difficult to attune and listen deeply to other people accurately. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not trying and it doesn't mean that you don't care about them, but it means that our bodies, we have things called like, for example, a mirror neurons. And those mirror neurons help us literally like look at our kids, for example. And when we're really attuned to them, we feel like their sadness. We might detect some of that in our own body. But the only way we do that is by being connected to ourselves. Yeah. Does that mirror neuron turn off? Like when you're spending all that work on that self-hatred or whatever? Yeah. What can happen is... Yes, there's multiple things that can happen for someone who's dissociated. They're not connected to their body, so they don't have access to the information for someone who's really dysregulated. Um, it will be very skewed because of so much bodily information going on. So it's like, it's either too much or none at all mm. is what happens. Mm. And so in order to accurately, I mean, this is the basis of empathy, basically, mm. Mm. is that I am able to feel with you yeah. as you are having an experience. And when we talk about parenting and attachment, that's also the basis of attachment. I need to be able to not perfectly, and let's just be really clear about that. It doesn't need to be perfect. It, it's good enough, but I need to be able to be aware mm. of the needs of these little people in order to be able to provide an, a, the kind of care that they might need. Now that might sound really overwhelming or, or even scary for some folks, but I, I think what I would just want to say is that like most of this, much of this is very intuitive. And, and the reason I want to share how important that is, is because I think sometimes, especially in faith circles, there can be this feeling of like, gosh, am I just paying so much attention to myself? you know, mm, like it's wrong. It's wrong. Like it's to wrong. Pay attention to yourself. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And I, and first of all, I think we can say that like we matter and that God shows us again and again that we matter. And what a beautiful reality that as we truly attend to our own internal world, we actually are able to better be with yeah. and love the people around us. Yeah. I was reading too, like the biblical, the 
perfect love casts out fear. And I was thinking about, I, cause I just learned about these neurological responses to anxiety and I was thinking, oh my goodness, when we experience God's perfect love, when we really truly do the work to push past, and I'm big on inner healing prayer, like when we work through those woundings and those messages we took on as young children that are wrong beliefs about God and ourselves, and we really get down and experience God's intimate love for us, it dispels some of that neurological reactionary, you know, Mm -hmm. things that go on because which impact our relationships and our ability to love others. It's like when I have really done the work to Mm. calm my nervous system because of God's love for me, I'm not needing it from my kids. I'm not needing it from my friend. I'm not fearful and reactionary. I don't know. I don't want to over-spiritualize because there is like truly stuff going on in our bodies, but I think it's also integrated Mm. that it's a yes. And like, it's like, God got it. Like this perfect love that I have given you, that is not the humans who have hurt you in your childhood. That was not my plan. I have this beautiful love that I'm constantly extending and offering and wanting to heal you. When you experience that, this mm-hmm. fear gets dispelled like mm-hmm. it doesn't have. Well, I, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I think that's so beautiful. And I think, you know, a lot of times the ways that I sort of frame this, type, this conversation is that I, you know, I think, I believe that God's the author of healing Yeah, and in, in like in strong, like water, one of the things I talk about is that faith can be such a profound resource for us in that journey, thinking about it through the lens of, you know, any good and perfect thing I believe is from God. Yeah. And that faith has that potential to be that for us, that it creates a sense of safety in that relationship itself um, allows our body to actually do the work Right. Mm. And this is the difference between spiritual bypassing, I would say. And, and the work we're really doing is that spirituality can communicate and allow our body to experience a type of safety. That is the thing that on a physical level changes our bodily experience Yeah, because we never bypass the body. We never do. No. If if it stays up up here, it's like, it's still, you're still experiencing it. The knowledge is still Yes. Yeah. You if you if you stay like only heady and throwing scripture at people, does the stickiness and the like actual? That's right. Because that can be a form of actual dissociation. Right. When we disconnect, anytime we disconnect from the body, even sort of a cognitive dissociation. Yeah. That again, that's sort of a coping skill many of us develop because living in our body has not been safe for Mm. lots of different reasons, right? Because that is the home of the trauma. Mm. And when trauma gets activated, that can feel really scary in our bodies. So we find ways to adapt, right? Similar to how we talked about fawning and all these ways we adapt. Many of us, particularly in Western culture, have been taught to disconnect from ourselves. Mm. Um, And that has been, again, praised. Yeah. Like, look at how much knowledge you have. Look at the facts you have. Look at the logic you have. But again, from a faith perspective, we look at an incarnational Jesus. 
We look at a God who became fully human, right? Uh, Fully God, but also. Yeah. And this is so important, fully human. Yeah. And this gives us this sort of roadmap to say healing ultimately allows us to become more of who God made us to be. Yeah. And so there's this really beautiful intersection where I I love, I love the way that you're bringing in faith. And I think that there's like this, uh, this needle to thread, right? Where sometimes we go into this place of, we want to honor what a resource that is. And we also have to honor that piece of our body that our body sometimes needs to be able to metabolize the trauma. And they're both, I don't know, like that they're both needed. And that's, I, in many ways, I think the grace of God that both can exist. Okay. I'm seeing our clock and I'm so sad because I want to talk more and I, we are going to talk some more. Okay. But I want to get like practical mom is saying, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, all of this is resonating so much with my experience. And I am in the daily with my kids and my neurological system is reacting and I am doing those things. What Mm -hmm. do I do? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're saying I don't want to, I don't want to go back to be strong, and I externally, well, my body is freaking out internally. So, yeah. what practical resources? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so there, there are a lot. And <laughs> There's a whole book. I, in fact. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and I, but I do, I do want to name some. But I will just okay. say the way that I view resources is that they build on each other. And why that's important is because there are going to be some resources in strong, like water that, you know, I will say like, if like from a grounded place, um, you could do X. Right. And when I say that, like, if it's something that if your body, um, folks, as you said, you talked about the window of tolerance, but if you're outside of that window, if your body's like, you're seeing red and you're like threat, 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 threat everywhere you go we can't go to maybe what I would call like a more advanced resource because you don't have access to your full sort of nervous system. Your prefrontal cortex, which is that top of your brain is not online. And so that means that trying to do that will probably just make you more angry (laughs) or more stuck. And so I just- It's like like if your kid's yelling and you say, stop yelling. That's- Exactly. Yeah, it's like they physically cannot stop when you're yelling at them because they're it just forces them to stay up dysregulated. That's right. right. Exactly. So, so some really basic resources that I always like to start with, because these are the things that can begin to get us back in that window and getting back in the window is really, it's always the first plan. Um, because basically we don't have any choices once we're all the way out of the window. So one, and folks may already be familiar, familiar with this, but I talk about grounding a lot and grounding is using our five senses to coming back into the immediate present Um, because God willing that immediate present to some extent is actually safe. Now I get that your kids might be yelling. I get that your house may be a mess, but when we look at what threat really means, our body may be experiencing that like a threat. But when you come back into your window, you'll be like, oh, okay. Maybe I just need to, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, this isn't life or death. Is it, is it frustrating? Is it irritating? Sure. But that's different, right. Than that life or death energy. 
So with grounding, you know, right now it's winter, but like, like, especially if you can get outside, this is the best way I believe to ground because nature is so good for our sensory input. Um, in the summer, like I will, or the spring, even I'll tell folks, if you can take off your shoes and get your feet in the grass, um, begin to name, what are you noticing with your eyes and what can you hear? Um, is there anything that you can like literally touch? Like, can you pick up a stone and literally feel the weight of that stone? Um, cause part of what we're doing here is that sensory input is basically all these little cues of safety is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And safety is what will bring us actual cues of safety, not just theoretical safety is what will bring us back to ourselves, back to the window. Um, and I talk about this a lot in strong, like water through the lens of, um, the flow of strength. And I, I sort of unpack that, but basically as we move towards safety, we're also moving towards a, what I would call a more expansive strength. So that first grounding basically is just as much as you can do it. Like I just so highly recommend it. And if you're inside, even doing things like cold water on your hands, ice on your hands, like different things. And ice feels safe. It can, especially if you're hot. I mean, certainly you're going to want to attune. Like if ice is your own needs, like a blanket, a warm blanket wrapped around you, maybe your thing that makes you feel safe. That's right. Like, so this is, you know, again, in the book, I am able to really kind of make this a little bit more nuanced, Yeah, but essentially it, yes, it's safety and the sensory together can be really helpful. April is Earth Month, and one small change I've made to be more sustainable without sacrificing what brings me joy is making my own bubbly water with a soda stream and using my Stanley cup so that I don't add to the single-use plastic bottle issue. Another thing that helps with that is Rothy's because with their shoes and bags, You can upgrade your wardrobe in a chic and sustainable way because everything at Rothy's is sustainably made with their signature thread repurposed from single-use plastic bottles. They are durably designed. These shoes last. I will tell you, my I have a couple pairs of Rothy's and I've had them for years and they look like brand new because not only are they made durably, they're washable. So I can toss them in the wash and they look as good as new and they're comfortable. I have worn my Rothy sneakers walking all around New York, putting tons, getting all my steps in and they're adorable. I love my point shoes and the really cute wildcat pattern, which is like, I don't know, a basic at this point for me. I love that Rothy's is designed with the planet in mind. They have repurposed over 164 million plastic bottles and counting. The fan favorite shoes like the flat and the point are made from about 11 recycled plastic bottles. If you want to go check them out for stylish and sustainable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash DMA. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash DMA. Since HelloFresh has become a sponsor, I have started purchasing it for our family every week, and uh, (laughs) it's actually 
saving my life right now because there are many nights that I'm out doing something either with a boy for sports or with work. And if I'm not around making dinner, I know Bruce will look at my stack of recipe cards from HelloFresh and will choose something and that he can make dinner for the family. I also have had my son has made these meals when I have been out of town and he has been in charge, my 17-year-old. What I love is when I'm gone, I know they're going to eat good food. It's farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes. So it makes it easy, fun, and yes, there's chopping, but there's something in me that kind of likes that feeling of being a part of the process. And so uh, there is a rhythm to HelloFresh meals that I appreciate. I also love that I could go in the week before and I can pick some of our favorites like the taquitos, which uh, I made this week and one of my sons is on spring break and I told him what I was making and he said, what? Can't you just wait and make that when I get home? Uh, so yummy. They also have things like soy glazed salmon with rice or mushroom and chive risotto, which I know some of you moms with young kids would be like, my kids would never eat that. Well, they have family friendly options too. Lots, even the meatloaf, I have found my boys are like begging for me to make that one. It's so great. Uh, go to HelloFresh.com slash DMA60. That's a six and a zero. So DMA60. Use the code DMA60 for 60% off plus free shipping. So that's HelloFresh.com slash DMA60. Use the code DMA60 and you'll get 60% off plus free shipping. And y'all will find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're literally trying to just like all the clues of the chaotic home and the fighting siblings are telling your body you're not safe. That's you right. need to find physical clues. That's right. To let your body know. You can't just tell it. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You have to let it feel that it's fine. That's right. It's like okay. show over tell. Right. Just like yeah. for writers. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard this. I know mm-hmm. I know for you as a writer, right? We show over tell. Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing in this work is that it's it's like a hundred times more effective to does show. music help? Like music can certainly be okay. a very Thinking great the auditory. Okay. Absolutely. Like that stimulates our vagus nerve, which is what part of what gets us back into that window. So cute okay. anything that feels um, I music is huge for me. And so that's a huge cue of safety. And I know for many folks, that's true. Um, oh, one other thing I want to say for parents with this is, you know, if you are really outside of your window, like doing grounding as soon as you can is probably a, a really good idea. But if you have the foresight to be able to say to your kids, mommy is feeling really angry right now. And I will be back in just a few minutes. Okay. And so what you're doing there is you are, you're creating just a little bit of a container for them to understand what's happening. If that is part of like in the moment, especially, right? Like we're talking in a very like cellular level, um, something like this happen. If you're happening, if you're able to do that, I think that can be really helpful. And then to go and do this. And, you know, once you've had a little bit of peace restored, once you're beginning, you know, maybe if you can, like today's a snow day where we are, you know, so I'm thinking it's like, 
okay, here's an art project. And here, you know, like if you can get them into the rhythm of something, then you may consider stepping away. Once you've had a moment, you're starting to come back in your window. And I love to practice self-compassion if that feels accessible to you. Um, So there's lots of research around self-compassion as to why this is such an effective, like it's, it really is a resource um, for multiple reasons, um, not the least of which that part of what it does is it inhibits our stress response when we're starting to get really activated. So, so an, a really easy example is, you know, to think about or consider if there's someone in your life that you feel a lot of compassion for, you know, like, is there someone like when you think about them, like you're moved on a visceral level, mm-hmm. like you are, you desire to want to support them. And in your mind's eye, you know, oftentimes I don't, folks may not be able to see me, but like, I'm putting a hand on my heart and I, and I'll do that. I'll encourage folks to do that because it helps us sort of connect to our body. If that feels okay to you. Um, so in your mind's eye, visualizing that person that you feel that connection and compassion with, and then if it feels okay to you to see Could you put an image of yourself next to that person that you feel that compassion towards? And as you do, would it be possible to shift just a little bit of that compassion, not only to that person, but to you, but to the you who is experiencing some moments of deep pain, who is maybe feeling some shame? over how you have acted or ways that you have shown up in the world. And as you do that, just to notice what's like, what do you notice in your body? Like, does it soften? Do you feel any gentleness towards that, that part of yourself? Um, And so this is something that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to practice self-compassion. This is just one tiny little subset, but I find for a lot of folks self-compassion sounds good, or maybe it sounds good, but it's not an easy thing to practice. No, no. And so sometimes practicing by, by really first visualizing something, someone that you care about, and then shifting that, um, can be a great way to make a little bit of a bridge. Yeah, no, I love that. I've seen friends do that. I'm in this group and they hold both hands over their heart and they picture the group in a moment when they have felt the compassion and love from the group so that they can like remember what that felt viscerally when you were present together and then take Mm. it with them. Because if you can't even conjure it for yourself, do you have a moment when you've experienced it that Mm. you can bring to mind Yes, and feel that compassion? Um, I also did an interview with a gal who is now with Jesus, but her name's Kim Fredrickson on self-compassion and she was helping moms and she had like a little, and this is a long time ago, like an audio, like a CD that would help you talk through it. But um, if y'all want to find that episode, if you want more work on that and definitely Andy's book, but I think you, you mentioned it and we'll kind of close with this, this concept that when we recognize that we are in a dysregulated place, we're out of the window and we make intentional time to get back in the window. And then we kind of get attuned. And you said, 
we find a strength that's more expansive. Mm-hmm. Talk to it's like give us that summary of like what's more expansive than white knuckling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about this, like one of the stories I write about in Strong Like Water um, is actually near the start of the pandemic. And, you know, we were home all, you know, kiddos at home trying to just do more. I mean, we were, our windows, our window of tolerances, I feel like were were small, had shrunken. We're like um, newborns. We were like newborn babies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything was, was triggering us. <laughs> oh, it was a lot. It was a yeah. lot. And I think about that. I, I, so one of the things I write about is as I began to, I, I began to identify that in myself pretty early because I was like, oh, this is really activating for so many different reasons, all these different things. And what I think about that time in the picture of, cause this is when strong, like water, I, I was really starting to come like almost like birth the like the the theoretical like what is this going to mean and look like and I remember one day you know I it's like I so I feel like I'd gone through most of the things I just described you know it's like doing lots of grounding and like <laughs> you know I'm doing self-compassion I'm trying to accept like oh the house just is gonna be messy right now yeah yeah but like I remember it was the end of the day and we would do at times like dance parties in our family or whatever, but we started this routine where we began to do like the kids sort of wanted to do it, but then we later wanted to do it where we would have them like run around this beanbag in our living room and give us high fives while we would listen to music. And it was just this very like one, it was great because it was discharging all the, cause that's part of the thing that I talk a lot about in the book too, is that we literally have to move the energy through our body. So I feel like that was part of what was happening, not only for the kids, but also for us in this, but the expansive strength, I feel like came in the ability to be flexible, to be deeply flexible and to recognize like, is this how I want this to be right now? Absolutely not. Like, I don't want to have to deal with all of these things. And after going through all of those other parts, right, that we've already named, like, oh my gosh, this is triggering and I'm exhausted and trying to move it through. It was like the expansive strength looked like being like, oh, we have choices here. We don't have to keep banging our head against the wall and create these relational dynamics in our family where we're just living from anger and being tense and nothing's ever good enough all the time. Like, what would it look like to do this differently? And when I think about expansive strength, there's so many different things that I could say, but, but what I would say, part of what marks it is one that there is a sense of like curiosity and possibility. And it doesn't mean that you have to be glad, for example, that like a trauma in your past happened. You can honor it. You can do the work to heal it. And then you can say, as that is healing, so what is available to me or us, to my family, You know, like if you grew up with a family with a history of abuse or trauma, like I think about, okay, so, so what's the kind of family, what kind of, what kind of family do you want to have? It's not going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. but if you could tap into what might be available to you, Mm -hmm. what else would you be seeing? 
if your view of the world didn't have to be so small. Yeah. And so I think expansive strength is beautiful in the sense that we have that sense of possibility because we are able to access our whole God-given self. Like everything that we have lived is part of what we can access and say, you know what? No, I've lived through something hard before. So guess what? We are going to be able to get through this and we're going to, you know, I'm going to be as gentle as I can. And guess what? I can do hard things. Like I am, I'm capable of that. And when we can bring the full spectrum, like almost like your tool belt, it's like when you are in that situational strength, you're like, oh, I have one tool. Mm-hmm. And when you are in expansive strength, you're like, oh no, I've got like 30 tools and I get to choose. And I get to be creative in the moment That's with, right. the, with the Holy Spirit empowering me to see outside of what my pattern has been for inspiration and a new response. And yeah. I picture like that situational strength, like I think you defined it actually before we got on the call, but like that situational strength is this rock and the expansive strength is that water flowing around it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it, one of the things that I've thought about, cause I, on the, in the book, I talk about it as the flow of strength, but I think of situational strength, almost like ice, uh, like ice is strong, but listen, yeah. it's got one job and it's to be hard, right? Like yeah. it just, it's not flexible, no. right? But as we move, like water mm. can take on so many different forms. Yeah. It goes, we're like, to it goes to the lowest point. Right. That's exactly right. It flows. That's exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. So we are really capable of showing up to our life, you know, in mm-hmm. partnership with God, we are capable of showing up to our life in the ways that our life is sort of asking us to, mm-hmm. and not again, not that it's going to be perfect. Not that hard things won't come. Not that we are not going to grieve. Not that we're not ever going to hit that situational strength. In fact, you probably will. The question is, when you do, can you bring some gentleness? Can you access some safety? Can you connect with your safe people and allow that ice to thaw? Yeah. So that you don't have to live there. Yeah. There can be a new habit. It can be a new way. That's right. Oh my goodness. So fun. I love this conversation. I know it's going to be super helpful for moms and I'm thrilled. I love connecting them with people and resources. And so to know that they can come to you for more guidance on all of this is just so great. Y'all check out her book from three years ago, Try Softer, which I feel like you kind of guided us through that even. And so Thank you, Andy, so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was such an honor. And I think that I'm I'm just so happy to be able to have this conversation with you. Me as well. Do more. We'll do more. I hope that this conversation was an encouragement to you and that you can try that self-compassion exercise that Andy recommended. Um, I know I've used the five finding your grounding in what you can see and hear and touch. I think some of these exercises, we think, oh, that's too simple. And yet we don't try them. <laughs> so in the moment, can we try them? Can we, I, I think, even teach our kids some of these things and find that compassion for ourselves? I would recommend to the episode I did with Kim Fredrickson, 
she has since um, gone on to be with the Lord, but she did a lot of great work on practicing self-compassion for us as moms and quieting that inner critic. We put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. I'm also going to pray for Andi since we recorded this episode. Her father, who um, was actually a source of some of the trauma in her life, passed away. And I just think as her book is coming out and she is walking through the hard thing, that we could just pray over her would be a good idea. So join me in that if you want to pray with me. Lord, I thank you for how you made us and that we are limited. I thank you that we have the ability to lean on you and ask your Holy Spirit to give insight to what's going on in our bodies. I pray that we would tune in and invite you in. I pray, Lord, that we don't have to force hard feelings down just so that we can get through our days, but that we can pay attention to what's going on and invite you and others in to help us work through those things. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a supernatural insight on how we are interacting with our kids and how we are responding in those moments of stress. And if we are trying to um, do more for others than you've ever asked us to do. I pray, Lord, for Andi as she is moving through her own season of grief, a unique experience for her that um, we won't understand completely, but you do. And we pray that you would surround her with your grace and love as she is also launching this book and living out the message of strength through difficulty. And I pray, Lord, that you would surprise her in unique ways, how you are so in the details that she would be, she would feel your holding of her and her healing in the places that have been wounds for a long time. And I pray, Lord, uh, for each person listening, that they would find you in this present moment, that they could sit with you, that they could find a rest from whatever anxiety or pain or stress that they have been feeling. And um, Lord, I just, I know that because you made us and because you know how we're made, that we can come to you for insight so that we can love the people around us better because that is how they'll know we are yours is how we love one another. And so Lord, if there's any motivation that that would draw us closer to you and to that healing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, meet me back here next week. We are starting a six-week series on Right Where You Belong, the new book that I have coming out April 18th. If you want, I would love it if you'd pre-order a copy of the book. When you do, I would love to give you a free audiobook version with me reading it. If you go to heathermcfadian.com forward slash R-W-Y-B, right where you belong, just the first letters of that title, uh, you'll see a pre-order form where you put in your name, your email, your order number, and that just gets you a way for us to connect and when the audiobook launches for us to give you that free code. There are limited numbers, so I want to make sure you get a copy of that if you want it. Uh, so make sure pre-order. You can pre-order wherever books are sold. I know right now Baker Bookhouse has a deal, 40% off. Um, so Check out the links in the show notes for that pre-order. Go fill out the form if you want a free copy of the audiobook. 
and meet me back here as we kick off the six-week series for Right Where You Belong. All right, adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.